from Sky News on the right to the ABC on the left. An iron curtain has descended across the continent. On the right of that line lies an evil empire of conservative Christians who deny climate change but believe in trickle-down economics. On the left lies a misguided and confused rabble who are supposed to help the working man but instead fight amongst themselves over identities. Only the Iron Fist Velvet Glove podcast takes the uncomfortable position of sitting astride the Iron Curtain to take aim at both sides. Only this podcast, and perhaps the bullshit filter, can explain the dire threats facing our civilization. I only wish that they could have traveled back in time to when I was conducting the war effort with the benefit of their wise counsel. The war would have ended three years earlier. I would not have lost the election and I would have invested heavily in technology stocks. <laughs> in any event, I implore you to listen to this very fine podcast. It is your duty. Yes, it is your duty, dear listener. Welcome back to the Iron Fist Velvet Glove podcast, episode 217. With me, as always, Scott the Velvet Glove and Paul the Twelfth Man. G'day, Trevor. G'day, Paul. Greetings, Earthlings. And also via Skype, Caitlin has joined us from New South Wales to chat about abortion law in New South Wales. Welcome aboard, Caitlin. Thank you very much for having me, Trevor, Paul and Scott. Yep. So all the technology, fingers crossed, is working so far, and, uh, and hopefully the live stream's working, and if not, it'll be on the podcast and get it in the normal time. So we'll see how we go. So um, we've got a lot of things. Dear listener, if this is your first time listening to this podcast, we talk about news and politics and sex and religion and the things going on in the world, and we try to analyse and explain and uh, look a little bit deeper into things if possible. So we'll be talking about abortion law in New South Wales, we'll be talking about George Pell, we'll be talking about creeping fascism in Australia and the US, uh, we'll be talking about uh, Iran, the Straits of Hormuz, and all sorts of things. So we'll see where we end up, and we'll no doubt be diverted down different rabbit holes at different times. So, so Caitlin, uh, we first met you, it was a long time ago, wasn't it? it? It must have been a couple of years ago now that you were talking about the fertility clinics in Albury-Wodonga, is that right? That's right, yeah. You um, you very generously gave me the opportunity to uh, talk to you on the podcast about, at that point in time, we were trying to get exclusion zones in New South Wales. Mm. And, and, and so they were, okay, so this is where I get confused. So that was uh, trying to get exclusion zones for fertility clinics in New South Wales. So they must have been conducting abortions in New South Wales, but at that time, what was the law? Like, it wasn't as easy to obtain an abortion at that time? So basically the way it works in New South Wales is abortion is in the criminal code. It has been in the criminal code since it, for 119 years. Yep. So, um, but 
But the exception is that if a doctor, if if you go to the doctor and you ask for an abortion, um, the doctor has to deem you as being psychologically mm. unfit to you know carry through that pregnancy to term. Yeah. But that's a very ambivalent mm. classification, and uh, you know the, the the a lot of doctors might not necessarily see your circumstances as being extenuating enough to terminate what they consider a viable embryo. Yeah, a very subjective test. So the new new laws would just make it as of right up to uh, 22, 22 weeks. weeks. And then you would need a couple of doctors to consent after that. Is that right, Caitlin? That's correct, yes. You would need two separate doctors to basically tick off to say, yes, this, this is the best decision based on a psychological evaluation and, you know, the the circumstances being as such that, you know, there is danger to the to the mother or, you know, the, the embryo was not viable. Yeah. Um, so, so you're yeah. a bit of an activist in these circles and... Like a couple of weeks ago, we spoke about um, a little study that was done of UK obstetric professionals and what their views would be on a Down syndrome child and various other sort of problems with the fetus and whether they would agree, you know, to a termination service at various weeks. Did that surprise you? Did you had you heard any of that before or any of that? I think I might have brushed past that. To be honest, right. I've, um, I, I sort of. Uh, I've been a little bit tunnel vision on the New South Wales stuff. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, I know that it, it, the trouble with those kind of things is that I think it gives a lot of opportunistic people who are in opposition the opportunity to um, yep. find things that they think are exceptions to the rule where, you know, people should be forced to sure. carry through a pregnancy to term. Yeah. So... Anyway, New South Wales is trying to catch up with the rest of Australia in many senses with this, and uh, it went through the lower house and was passed comfortably or just, or how close was it? I, I can't remember. It, it, was, it was, you know, it was over 60%, I believe. Um, I, I don't have the exact figure sitting in front of me, but um, they, they, the thing that they tried to do was um, those in opposition wanted to pass amendments on the bill. Yep. And all of those amendments were unanimously rejected. Yeah. And, and these were amendments, uh, I, I remember one of them was about, they were worried about gender selection. Is that right? That people were going to uh, have terminations purely based on gender and they were trying to avoid that. That was one of the sort of amendments. Is that right? Yeah. Well, that's actually, I believe that that's going into the upper house uh, discussion as well. But one of the, um, I know that in the lower house discussion, there was, Basically, and and it was the reason I paid so much attention to it was it was actually the member in my electorate, Dr. Joe McGurr, um, who was saying that doctors should have the right to refuse patients on the base of their conscious objection. Um, and so that basically means if you go to a doctor and you say, uh, you know, for for whatever reason you you need to terminate a pregnancy, yep. um, then the doctor can just say, no, nope, not helping you get out of my clinic. Right. What the law is, what we're trying to do now with um, the proposed bill is that doctors would, in in this uh, proposed bill, 
um, they would need to inform their patient that they have a conscience objection. Yep. But the difference is that they would be obligated to refer that patient onto someone who would help them yep, which rather is, than leaving them, yeah. which is the right thing to do probably. Yeah. And is the same as the Queensland and Victorian one where a doctor is not compelled to perform a termination but is compelled to uh, refer them on to somebody who will. Yeah. yeah, and I mean that seems like common sense and the right thing to do by uh, any doctor that has, you know, integrity yeah. in there. I think that the screws were twisted onto the lib the Liberals, um, because um, our New South Wales Premier, Gladys Berejiklian, actually, um, she was in support of it, but I believe that she was under tremendous pressure within the Liberal Party to um, to defer the vote, because I guess the discussion that the Conservatives were having, the argument that they were having was that they haven't had enough time to discuss it. It's, it's such a surprise. 119 years. Mm. And it's, oh, we still, we still need to discuss it yeah. it's such a surprise yeah so you know i'm going to take a wild guess and say it's the religious elements in the liberal party who are not happy oh yeah you guessed it right. uh, yeah and uh it, it they they had a um during this period before they decided that they were going to defer so basically at the moment they've got four weeks to discuss the bill Mm -hmm. And then they're going to bring it back in on September the 17th is the day that they've set to readdress the bill yep. in the upper house. Um, but, yeah, um, it, it's one of the things that you said earlier, Trevor, is that this fallacious argument about gender selection, yeah. um, which they're using as a Trojan horse to sort of try and create some sort of argument for why there is any moral reason why women should not be able to decide mm. if they're going to carry through a pregnancy to term. Mm. Caitlin, do you, do you not think that's um, a reasonable sort of objection to make? I mean, you know, there is evidence or at least anecdotal evidence that in countries like India and China and some other traditional countries where the uh, technology is available, people do in fact uh, sex select embryos and abort the ones they don't want? Well, that might be the case, but my my feeling is in, that we live in Australia and in the first instance I believe that it's a little bit discriminatory to say that, you know, there's going to be people that are going to do that. I mean, it might happen, but it's going to be very difficult for a doctor to make a, you know, sub subjective observation about whether or not they think that someone is terminating a pregnancy on that basis. Yeah, it's tricky for sure. But, you know, the doctor could probably make an educated guess uh, based on their ethnicity because if they were, you know, just regular run-of-the-mill Aussies, the doctor probably wouldn't suspect that they would even consider such a thing. But it is. But I mean, there, there has been a, a problem arisen in China in, in recent decades where they have a huge imbalance between male and female and there, there are all these, you know, they, they say this like the figure I heard was 20 million young Chinese men of marriageable age that couldn't find wives simply because at some point in their lifetime uh, their, their parents and other parents of the same generation had favoured male children and in some cases either aborted female fetuses or given birth to female babies and then basically lost them, you know, given them away or 
sold them or whatever they've done with them. But uh, apparently, it's a, it's a genuine issue. So, I mean, being a be, being a country of migrants, and we do have quite significant uh, uh, populations of migrant Chinese and migrant Indians. I, sure. I, th- I think it's a reasonable uh, suspicion to Well, to the question have. would be, has it been happening in other jurisdictions, I guess? And I think there was some yeah. evidence given by one of the members of parliament in New South Wales that it had been, and that was shown to be false, something like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm not memory. suggesting it has happened mm. or would happen. I'm just yeah. saying that it's a, it's a reasonable concern. Sure, but if you, you know, in other states have had freely available termination services and there's no evidence of... There's no evidence, yeah. Then. Has anybody looked for evidence of, of yeah. it? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know either. But, yeah. you know, I, I think that I think the, the argument that I would make to that is that... Um, we, we, we should be trusting our doctors like that, that they're going to be making a um, – I, I think it sort of disrespects the integrity of a doctor to say that they're not going to, you know, be able to um, make, a, make a call on that, you know. It's also still the choice of the woman. Like she's yeah, the one having the yeah. baby. So, you know, sometimes a woman will just say, I don't want a baby because I don't really want a baby right now. Thank you very much. Mm. And we would say that's fine. If you're not in a position where you're ready to have a baby, don't have one. And if she says, I'm really not able to have a baby now because I know it's going to be a boy, then it's the same argument, isn't it? And uh, or, or it's a girl. Uh, it's still a legitimate reason. It would really. be a very difficult mm. thing to pin down, really, mm. for a doctor yeah. or yeah. anybody else. It probably only happened in circumstances where you know the doctor says, oh, We've got the scan results. Um, here they are, healthy, happy little baby girl there. Congratulations. And immediately they said, a girl? Uh, in that case, I want a termination. No. That would be about yeah. the only yeah. time you could tell. So it's a really an unrealistic thing for a doctor to detect. And, and I yeah. think that you're talking about people that are living mm. in Australia. You know, people mm. people don't, you know, I'm, I'm, I can't speak for everyone that comes to Australia, but I would say that, you know that that culture is probably not necessarily going to be an issue here because you know it's not the same. Caitlin, you know. they bring their culture with yeah, them. Yeah, it, it could happen, but I still think it's just a leg- it's a legitimate reason. And I mean, if a woman mm. said, "Look, in my culture, I have a real problem if this baby is not a boy first up or something," and you could say, "Well, that's it's your body, your mm. your reasons." So there we go. Well. You see, Caitlin, you can always count on the tough man to be a protagonist and provide the, the, oh, the tricky yeah. questions. Look, yeah. yeah, that's that's what I I'll that's what I really best. appreciate about yeah. you guys. Yeah. So you know, that's good. It's yeah. fine. So that'll be interesting to see what happens with that debate. So you've been a bit of an activist, and uh, so I can see on your Facebook page you've been imploring people to contact their local politician and tell them what they, you know, how they want them to vote. Um, you unfortunately live in Wagga in this sense that your local member's not not in line with your thoughts on this. Are you disrespecting the good folk of Wagga? Well, the good le- <laughs> the, the leadership of Wagga, the, the folk. <laughs> uh, I should. Yeah, the, the leadership. I, your, your local politician is not. Uh, he didn't even answer your calls. Is that right? Look, I I, I have to clarify though mm. the lower house member that we have elected, uh-huh. Joe McGurr. Definitely is very conservative. The upper house member who is going to be ta- uh, who's going to be voting on the next part of this bill, Wes Fang, mm. he is supportive and he always has been. Right. So, yep. um, 
but Doc, uh, Joe McGurr is our lower house representative and he is very conservative. And unfortunately, he came in as an independent. So I think that everyone actually, he, he voted, he was voted in on a landslide because people thought, oh, great, this guy's a doctor, you know, he's going to be rational, mm. you know, and, and actually, you know, he's, he had on record in an interview um, earlier this year when they started this debate that he thinks that abortion should only be provided in private hospitals. And it's like, hang on a minute, the only private hospitals are Catholic ones, so they're not going to be providing abortions, mm. yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. mm. So... It's, it's a bit disappointing. And, I mean, he's also gone on record, you'd be interested to know, because I know this is another topic that you're interested in. He doesn't believe in voluntary euthanasia. Right. So there you go. Does he believe <laughs> the Sky Fairy is real? Mm-hmm. Yes, so. I believe he does. He's a self-proclaimed Catholic. There you go. So I think that answers yeah. a lot of questions. The, the reason I was just sort of bagging Walger a little bit was because our deputy Prime Minister was in Walker when he made those oh. statements about, um, <laughs> you know, the islanders, you know, shouldn't be complaining about trying to maintain their existence. And oh after all, we, we let them pick our fruit. And that was in Wagga, wasn't it? So I think, I think there's something yeah, in the water. Yeah, he's from Wagga. He's okay. from Wagga. Okay, I think there's something in the water in Wagga. Okay. <laughs> well, please, no. <laughs> yeah. Make sure you're drinking bottled, bottled water, water only. Yeah. yeah, it's a bit unfortunate um, that there's, uh, you know, there's actually been a really great movement. There's been a bunch of people in Wagga that have been camping outside of Michael McCormack's office in Wagga every single Friday. They call it Fridays to the, for the Future. Right. And they, they camp out there with signs saying we want to adopt a climate change policy. And, you know, um, they're, so th- there is people that are progressive, but they're, they're very outnumbered. And you can see that in the city council as well, Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So uh, you're still imploring people to um, go out there and call their politician? Is that, is that what you want people to do, Caitlin? What's the call to action out of all this from your group? Yeah, so um, at the moment we're uh, – so as, as, I'm, as you know, there's going to be a lot of uh, – there's going to be a lot of pressure on the MPs that are voting on this bill in the next three weeks. Mm. Uh, and they're going to be turning the screws on them, especially the Nats – and the libs, um, you know, people that are in the more conservative parties, that a lot of them are actually supporting the bill in the upper house, but we suspect that they're going to be under a bit of pressure. So we're like, what we're trying to do is encourage people that are in these electorates. Doesn't matter who your member is, but call them up. If they're voting for it, great. Tell them thank you. Yeah. Just yeah. The, the the trouble is that the, the church and the Australian Christian lobby have so much power, and they've got all of these. You know, these people, retirees sitting at home that have lots of time on their hands to, you know, um, make lots of phone calls. And um, I, I guess I'm just trying to implore people, spend five minutes, write your local upper house member an email, say thank you or say please vote on the bill. Um, but but just send them an email and encourage them because they're going to be getting so many discouraging emails about this and it would be really helpful for them to see that there is actually people that support it mm. yeah so yeah even if you know your local member is in favor just a, a message to sort of beef them up and bolster them up and help them hold the line would be good so has it passed the lower house it has hasn't yes. it yes yeah. so it's yeah. just the upper house it mm. has to get through mm. yeah. yeah so it's got to go through the legislative assembly and I believe that it will be starting back in Parliament on the 17th of September. So we've got a few weeks to rally the troops and get 
you know, get support because what's going to probably be happening on the opposing side is that they're, you know, they're going to be, you know, trying to come up with ways of obstructing this bill from passing. Sure. So yeah. um, we can't stop them from obstructing the bill, but we can try and get people to at least employ a little bit of um, interest in yep. supporting their legislative member and um, letting them know that they're doing a good job. What do, what do you know about the composition of the upper house, Caitlin? Do, do you, are you optimistic that they'll pass it or not? Uh, I think that it has a very good chance of passing, but um, we also th- there was also no indication that it was going to get pushed back. So um, I don't think that we can underestimate the the power of the opposing side, even though it's a very small and vocal minority. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think that we just need to be prepared to support the people that are doing the right thing. Um, and I, I suspect that there's going to be people prepared to play dirty. I mean, look at Barnaby Joyce. He yeah. had nothing to do with this and he was making completely fallacious claims about this, this bill. Like he, his own party is upset and telling him to, you know, they're, they're upset with him because not because he doesn't have the right to speak about it. He absolutely does. But, you know, like there's people in his party that are supporting this bill and he's out there saying, you know, people are going to abort full-term babies, which is completely hmm. inaccurate, hmm. you know. So, yeah. yeah, it's just about supporting the right information and, you know, supporting the people that are putting their skin in the game, I guess. Yep, yep. yep. Good on you, Caitlin. Well, keep up the good fight. Um, good luck. And for the Iron Fist Velvet Glove podcast listeners living in New South Wales who are voting down there, um, hop on the phone, call your local upper house representative or if you're walking past their office call in and even if he or she is not there tell the staff that's how you feel and mm. um every little bit helps and play your part in our democracy mm. what's left of it <laughs> yeah i think that's right i think if we you know apathy is the real enemy of democracy mm. we have to get out there and get active mm. yep Righto, Caitlin. Well, we'll let you go and we'll continue on with the rest of our podcast and uh, keep in touch and let us know of anything interesting that happens. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah. No problem at all. No worries. Bye, Caitlin. Good Bye, luck, Caitlin. Caitlin. Keep up the great work. You too. Bye. Thanks. Thank Bye. you. Bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Mm, interesting. There we go. Yeah. All that technology worked. That was a Skype hook-in, live-streamed. Hello to Alison and Will who were on board. Yep. Another success for the Iron Fist Velvet <laughs> Love podcast. podcast. Indeed, yes. yes. So, um, right. So that's, uh, that's that. Uh, still on religion. We should talk briefly about George Pell, Scott. <laughs> <Yeah>. Should we? <laughs> Mm. I was very pleased to see that the appeal court threw his appeal out. Mm. Um, were you surprised? Because a lot of people was were very expecting him to be walking out of there. Yeah, I was oh. very surprised. I honestly didn't think that the conviction would stand up to the appeals mm. court. Interesting. I thought that um, he was convicted by a jury and that type of thing, which didn't re- it sort of surprised me but didn't really surprise me, if you know what I mean. I thought by the time it went be- before three sober judges that it would be... That they would know better than the jury. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And they clearly don't. Or 
Well, I think the uh, assessment of all that was right with Trevor's got written here. The uh, the witness was something special. Which In what is sense? the well, an extremely compelling witness, yeah. like who was really um, didn't overstate, didn't exaggerate when it was unnecessary. You know, just came across as completely believable and completely honest. Like, uh, yeah, it came across apparently as as the perfect prosecution witness. Mm. Um, so. And this, uh, an unusually compelling witness, I think. And yet people say, still argued that uh, the testimony of one person still doesn't remove any sort of vestiges of doubt that might uh, remain. Yes. And, 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 and apparently they're not supposed to convict if there's any, any doubt. Well, that a reasonable doubt. Reasonable doubt, yes. Mm. So what is reasonable, of course, is mm. very subjective, isn't which, it? Which, again, must say this witness was very compelling. Mm. So uh, yeah, He was the victim too, wasn't mm. he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah he's one of the so, two victims. Yeah. 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 Um, so uh, I was speaking to right-wing Tony and he was speaking with his former colleagues and their thoughts were that the guy who dissented of the three judges who came out quite strongly in a really strong dissent saying, no, this evidence is not good enough to convict. So he thought there was reasonable doubt. Indeed, very strongly felt that way. He is without doubt the best criminal lawyer on that Court of Appeal. According to right-wing Tony. And other lawyers. Like oh. people have a reputation of being experts in yeah. certain areas yeah, above yeah. others and the dissenter, unfortunately, is a really strong criminal lawyer and would know more about criminal law than the other two. Yeah, I couldn't help wondering. Reputation. I couldn't help wondering, and, and yeah. I haven't read the testimony. Mm. I don't, is it available for us to read? Look, uh, I, I'm not sure how much witness, of it is. Yeah. I'm not but sure. look, mm. I couldn't help wondering the, the judges that rejected the appeal, you know, how much was their, their personal sort of sentiment, you know, weighing on their judgment, you know, their personal mm. sentiment that... Uh, abuse of children has been going on far too long and it's a shocking you know it's a shocking indictment of the the catholic church and how much they you know think, even subconsciously wanted to punish the catholic church you know i think i think you can make don't know. i think experienced judges at that level can disassociate but the, their own the sentiments. point is i think this other lawyer who disagreed mm. was probably He's a very strong lawyer and probably the smartest of the three of them. Mm. And so the other point is that this Victorian Court of Appeal has had a number of appeals successfully made against it in recent times. So mm. there's been a number of occasions where matters have gone from them to the High Court oh. and been overturned. So, so Pell still has a chance. So He's still if you've got a, a High Court too. that in recent years has overturned Court of Appeal decisions from Victoria mm. and they're looking at a decision where they're going the strongest criminal lawyer jurist and the smartest guy there dissented. We need to have a strong look at this possibly. Mm. So I really wouldn't be surprised. It's not over yet. No, it's definitely no, it's, not over it, yet. It's not over yeah. yet and mm. I mm. honestly I didn't realise mm. that about that third mm. guy. That's very interesting what you're saying. Mm. Yeah. Um, Hearing that now, it really wouldn't surprise me if they do go to the High Court. Yep. Uh, it depends on whether or not the High Court's prepared to hear it, but yeah, they they probably will hear it considering that they've knocked a few of them back. 
It'd be interesting to see. Uh, Alison on the um, chat room says that the judgment is online, all 300 pages of it in your spare time, 12th man. Oh. Club, yeah. you read that? I'm a, I'm a working man. Yeah. But, but the other thing is um, when you're reading something, mm. you know, this witness is probably even more compelling just hearing his voice in the court. So you've got to bear all that in mind. But anyway, uh, um, so... I wonder so who's... Is that, that, Alison, is that the judgment of the Court of Appeal or is that the trial, the full trial transcript, 300 pages of it? So, yeah. Anyway. I wonder who's going to... Play this witness in the in the film version. Well, Russell Crowe. Right. I was thinking <laughs> about that. Yeah. So anyway, so that's Cardinal Pell. Definitely not over yet. So, no, it's not over yet, but mm. it was a very heartening mm. decision that mm. was rendered by the Court of Appeal. Mm. Anyway, we'll have to see because you know the Vatican's gone very quiet on him and that sort of stuff. They've said mm. that he's got the right to appeal. Yeah, they're going to keep their powder dry until he's until he's exhausted mm. all his appeals. Mm. If the High Court does overturn it, then he'll probably end up on a plane back to Rome. But they'll just sh- shove him off into retirement village. I would oh, have thought. yeah, it's unlikely he'll go back to his former career, though, is it? Isn't yeah, it? After all that, yeah. oh, I wouldn't think. I wouldn't think he'd go back to his former he's, he's, career, but he'd probably end up. He's back a very Rome. old man now yes. as well, so he'd be normally retiring anyway. So yeah. He's, he's, yeah, he wouldn't want to go. But he's lost all of his power. He'd just be, yeah. So anyway, we'll see what happens there, but definitely not over yet. By no, it's not over yeah. yet. The Catholic Church owns plenty of nice, stately country yeah. homes in Victoria yeah. that he could retire like to. A warm sure. fireplace, yeah, yes. indeed. Yep, with so. a nice, you know, pastoral mm. view. Mm. <laughs> From the living room window. Yeah. Now, we in recent times, we in recent times have been talking about fascism and Nazism. And uh, just a reminder. Not only us, just about everybody in the country that that I can can see uh, is talking about it. I mean, at least certain parts of the the population, meaning those on the left, are seeing fascism everywhere. Yes. Well, on the right, they see Marxism everywhere. So well, that's it's true. Just evens itself, evens itself <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yes, people are either talking about Falao, Pell, or fascism. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, fascism, a form of radical authoritarian ultranationalism characterized by dictatorial power, forcible suppression of opposition, and strong regimentation of society and the economy. So, just in terms of Australia, um, We've had a few events in recent times that that might fall into the category of suppression of opposition, I think. And uh, we had that incident where the Australian Federal Police raided News Corp and ABC, or News Corp journalist and the ABC officers mm. in relation to a matter where uh, it was sort of an, an, a material that had been leaked in relation to Australia's special forces in Afghanistan and whether they'd committed war crimes. Mm. And um, and then last night on ABC, Four Corners, dear listener, if you haven't seen it, I reckon the Four Corners on um, last night was one of the most important ones in a long time. Watch where, it on iView, everyone. Yeah, mm. you can still see it. So um, basically, Timor Leste, Timor Leste, what's mm-hmm. the pronunciation? Leste, yeah. Leste? Timor Leste. Okay. Um, we had been arguing with them over oil rights and it turned out that our government bugged the uh, the negotiating room that belonged to them 
so that we could overhear their private thoughts and put us in an incredibly powerful position in our negotiations that allowed us to get an extra special deal because the oil fields are clearly closer to Timor-Leste and not us and there's no way it should have ended up as a 50-50. And so Australia really did a terrible thing in bugging the offices of a minor country and using that... A very minor country. I mean... We're such bullies on this. Tiny poverty-stricken country yep. that has just, you know, wrenched itself out of the, the iron grip of, you know, some, you know, the Javanese empire. And, and here are we, supposedly their friends, who helped them get free of that mm. predicament, mm. spying on them yeah. just to, to steal... To cut a better deal on oil for a To, to deprive yeah. them of whatever, you know, wealth they might be able to wring out of that yep. natural resource when they desperately need it. I mean, yeah. So one of our spies or somebody working in that area found out about it and leaked it. And, and well done to that spy, yeah. I say. And uh, of course, there's a prosecution happening in relation to that, and also a prosecution of his lawyer, mm. who was a former ACT Attorney General, really mm. respected man, mm. whose whose only crime it seems has been to refer the matter to the international court, like. Yeah. Then it's public knowledge what we did. How can you say that he's done anything that's, you know, endangering endangering Australia's national interest? It's despicable. It's, a it's big just stretch, intimidation isn't it? so, to be suing to taking this lawyer to court yeah. as well. What, what what are they taking the lawyer to court for? Like, uh, what's their pretense? Uh, let's see. Accused of disclosing secret information, both of them, including the lawyer. But the lawyer was simply making a complaint to an international court yeah. about what what had been done. It smacks so. of the sort of tactics that you expect from a, an authoritarian state, you know? Exactly. They don't there's, only there's prosecute the person that you don't like, but, but, you know... Bully everybody. Bully everybody. And scare everybody. Scare, the, scare everybody away from trying to defend them or help y- them. Yes. So... Disgrace. George Brandis was given the opportunity to commence this and sat on it for over two years which meant he didn't feel comfortable doing it. Mm. Christian Porter's come in and within six months has said, go ahead, let's exactly. do it. Exactly. Yeah. So, so, you know, you said it's max of authoritarianism. There's, there's a whiff of fascism about this. There's a whiff of authoritarianism of, of crushing of mm. dissent. Yeah. We still have of, a fair way to go. And of sending but... a signal to people, don't put your head above mm. the parapet because mm. you will be persecuted. Yeah. Like it's a, a really nasty, dangerous thing. So the question is... Um, you know, obviously in both cases, state secrets were breached, but we have to have a law that says if it's genuinely in the public interest, the Timor-Leste one is so straightforward. Australians need to know yeah. that that's if what If the we executive yeah. is engaging in yeah. nefarious or, you know, unethical activities, yeah. surely the public has a right to know about yeah. it. Yeah, yep. So, uh, so clearly... We need that defence and we need whistleblowers to be able to call out when our, our special forces or our, you know, our spooks, you know, commit illegal acts. Mm. And uh, the fact that most Australians couldn't give two hoots and at some stage will turn around and go, gee, you know, what's all with the fascism around here? And I'll be, well, it started around about now. Mm. So you weren't complaining. So you should. Like it's, 
I dare say some people are concerned, but just not enough. Yeah, not enough. So so anyway, that was a really compelling Four Corners episode, Mm. I thought. So let me see. Uh, Alison says that that 300-page was just the judgment of the Court of Appeal. Really? So there we go. So the actual trial... uh, It's probably a 1,000 pages. The transcript would be for... Well, it went for weeks. It would just be... Thousands of pages, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, 300-page joint. Sadly, my long service leave is still a few years off. Mm. (laughs) Hello, uh, Caitlin's um, back on and also Carly from Mount Isa. Good on you, Carly. Right. Also, just, you know, whiffs of fascism in America. Uh, We had uh, Trump telling American companies not to deal with China and... uh, using his presidential powers to uh, impose tariffs on Chinese goods, but basically telling American companies, stop dealing with China and... Um, he can't really force them. He can't unless he... Invokes uh, that invokes special, special powers, emergency yeah. powers that he has. So, yeah, so a president he's, has got some pretty strong powers. He's told them to come home, hasn't he? Uh, he's told American companies, come home, get out of China, come home yeah, and I don't do business imagine. here. I don't imagine it, they're not going to. any of them are going to say, no. oh, my God, Trump's told us to go home. We'd yeah. better do it right away. <laughs> exactly. I mean, mm. yep. Jesus, they're in the business of making money, yes. not making friends necessarily. Yeah. yeah. But when we think of fascist sort of states or communist states, we mm. think of uh, workers being trotted out to stand at attention and to obey the almighty leader and to clap and cry on cue and stuff and... Um, I came across an article about, um, in the United States, workers at a new shell plant in Pennsylvania had to attend a speech by President Donald Trump uh, earlier this week in order to be paid. And they were ordered not to protest. Uh, Attendance was not mandatory for thousands of union workers at Royal Dutch Shell's petrochemical plant north of Pittsburgh, but they had to forfeit pay for the day if they skipped. So you don't have to attend. If you want to get paid, you have to. And you have to just be quiet and don't do anything rebellious. Now, I, I don't know American industrial law, but wouldn't that be in violation of some law in this country if workers were told such would, a thing? I would hope so. <laughs> I would hope so. But there you go. It's a bizarre story, isn't it? Yeah. But I wouldn't so have much... thought Americans would be able to do that either. Yeah, but well, there you go. I mean, when... You know, you can have laws, but you can also have pressure. So when you're, when you're precarious, when your jobs are scant and when they can sack you easily... And you live pay to pay. And you live pay to pay, then they don't... You know, the law might protect you, but if you are not strong enough to avail yourself of it, too bad. And they just say, oh, no shifts for this guy or, you know... Yeah. Certainly so, true. Mm. I mean, you know, we saw what happened with um, underpaid workers at yeah. uh, convenience stores and yeah. restaurants. And, yeah. I mean, the reason it happens is because basically the law isn't enforced. Yeah. <laughs> Mystic Fakir says, I'd forfeit the pay, which, yeah, but the problem is, as we know, some people can't 50% afford of to. Americans are on less than, they've got less than $500 cash. That's they right. cannot meet an emergency mm. and uh, they are living. Pay packet to pay packet. Yeah, mm. even public servants in America are, mm. are often in that category, aren't they? Yes. Lower level public servants. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Show up or don't get paid. Yeah. Mm. I, what would you do? I mean, in that situation. 
it's, it's easy. It'd be to a be, tough choice. It's easy to, to be righteous, but if you've yeah, got a young family, baby, right. and you've got only fifty bucks in your wallet, and yeah, you'd, you'd be, probably show up. You probably would. Yeah, yeah. So there we go. Um, good news. Greenland is not for sale. Yeah. <laughs> I cannot understand what the hell Donald Trump was thinking when he said, oh, he's had this thought bubble saying, oh, we might buy Greenland. Well, they bought Alaska. Yeah, Why no, not they, Greenland? They bought Alaska, yeah. but they can't buy Greenland because Greenland's a semi-autonomous state that's under Danish protection. Anyway... Then, you know, the, the Danish Prime Minister said basically what she says. She said, uh, no, I can't find it. Well, it came out of the blue. Pro- Here it is, yeah. He said that um, she would have no dis- interest in discussing the, ma- the purchase of Greenland. I will be postponing the meeting schedule for two weeks. He added the Prime Minister was able to save a great deal of expense and effort for both the United States and Denmark by being so direct. I thank her for that and look forward to rescheduling sometime in the future. That was him. Then she said that it was absurd over the weekend and then Trump then went into a Twitter storm saying, I thought it was not a nice statement the way she blew me off. Nasty yeah, woman. Exactly. I mean, he's really Mental. inflating the whole thing, isn't it? He, he created the situation by suddenly out of the blue saying, oh, we'd like to buy Greenland. And she's like, I'm sorry? Our country is not for sale. And then he accuses her of blowing him off. Yes. I mean, he's just looking for reasons to justify his own, you know, I mean, ridiculous behaviour. Yeah. The, it's just, it's such an embarrassment for the United States to have such a man in, in leadership. Absolutely. And mm. a, a lot of Americans are, you know, obviously very embarrassed mm. by his antics. Yeah. Yeah. So I read a... Um, I read something here, though, from the shovel, and uh, <laughs> they had a solution. And they said that um, describing it as a terrific real estate opportunity not to be missed, Australia has contacted US President Donald Trump, offering him the chance to purchase New Zealand for a bargain basement price. Uh, with the sale of Greenland looking increasingly unlikely, uh, Australia should be willing to help. Mm. Quote, we know Mr Trump is looking to buy a cold, remote, largely uninhabited island. Here's a chance to snap up too. <laughs> I like the shovel. <laughs> Should we throw in Tasmania? <laughs> Maybe. Right. Um, actually, New Zealand obviously is a is a much more rich and you know fertile and productive piece of real estate than Greenland. Greenland yeah. only produces what fish and uh, could have all sorts of minerals under there. Who knows? Yeah, underneath the ice. Yeah, when it melts. Yeah, after it melts. If Donald thought about it, you know, you could probably launch. Uh, Missiles from Tasmania across the Antarctic towards Russia or something like that. It's probably a little oh, short. Oh, that's a long there, way so, around. Yeah. So, Greenland's yeah, much more convenient yeah, for launching missiles. Yeah, it's true. Uh, but apparently, the Chinese made an, mm. an offer or made a request to Greenland mm. to um, mm. to build a a port or a, some sort of naval base there. Right. Did you not read that? I did read that, but mm. the the Danish government knocked them back. Yes, but I mean. You know, at least we know Trump is not the, the only harebrained fool out there trying to buy, buy Greenland. You know, the Chinese were trying to... Well, the Chinese were trying to set up a port there, but I don't think they were trying to buy the entire No, territory. because they probably realised it wasn't for sale. But, yeah. you know, 
to, mm. to offer money and they probably would have offered quite a lot of money. But that wasn't the worst or most harebrained scheme to come out of Donald's <laughs> head that we've heard of in the last week. And the other one was when he was looking at uh, hurricanes oh. and he came out with he, – he asked his – he said, I've got the ice solution. We'll nuke them. <laughs> Just yeah. drop a nuclear bomb yeah. on these hurricanes. That'll knock them out and, you know, problem yeah. solved. Yeah. That's what you get a president for. So That's right. It, it is an extreme embarrassment. Poor people of America. But, hey, the you, brain's know, you, trust. you voted for him. It resides in the White House. Yeah, there we go. So, uh, And so despite this guy being the absolute nutter that we've just described, all he has to do is pick up the phone and say, hey, Australia, I think it's a really good idea for you to come and help us because of those pesky Iranians in the Straits of Hormuz who are causing all sorts of harassment of tankers and we need some military help, so come and help us. And what does Australia do? Yes, sir, you know, jump, how high? Like, it's disgusting. Please, like, okay, even an idiot can come up with a good idea, but surely you need to think really thoroughly any time Donald Trump comes up with anything. And... As listeners to this podcast would know, we've described that it all started with the UK seizing an Iranian ship. Illegally. Illegally, under the direction of the United States. And So now, we're not the only lapdogs. True. Indeed. <laughs> yeah, true. So look, um, you, you wouldn't yeah. deny that the yeah. Iranians uh, certainly have been uh, harassing people in that area. Only because they have to prove a point. If Do the they? UK takes their tanker, what's mm. the best way of getting your tanker back? It's to take a British tanker. What about the tankers yeah. that were bombed? That no were evidence that that was from Iran. No, we don't know, but we yeah. don't know that it wasn't them either, do okay. we? Okay. So you just said, though, Iran's been up to mischief, though, and I'm saying you can't prove it, you don't know. But Iran's been up to mischief not just in the Straits of Hormuz. They've been shipping... No, 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 not what do you mean, not just. You can't say they have been in the Straits of Hormuz. You can't prove that in any way. So don't, don't give me a not just 12 men. Seriously. They landed commandos on a British tanker from a helicopter and they have all these speedboats that they race around whoever they want to harass with. So you can't say that they're completely pure as the driven snow, Trevor. But if... The way to get your tanker back is to steal one back, steal one of theirs. It's entirely reasonable. Like, I see that as a okay. reasonable action. If we, if our country was there and, and you know, a foreign minister walked into my office as prime minister and said, hey, we've lost a tanker, but there's one of theirs over there. What do you reckon we snatch it? I go, you know okay. what, that's a probably a pretty good idea. <laughs> All right. Wouldn't you? Uh, so if your neighbour sneak, sneaks through the fence... And steals one of your tennis rackets. <laughs> you can you consult okay. Mrs. Fist, and she says, "Okay, Trevor, you just sneak in there and steal one of their tennis rackets, okay? And then we're then we're square." Well, does that make you any better? You know, I mean, it puts you on the same level. This is a it? bully boy aggressive tactic by the UK and America, and at some yeah. point you have to stand up and say, "Yeah, two can play at this game." Mm. So, look, I'm, I, I I'm say, I say know, good on them. As you know, I'm no fan of mm. the um, the theocracy in Tehran, mm. and they have certainly been 
causing problems uh, for their neighbours, no doubt about it. Well, I mean, I'm not a fan of them either. However, in this case, I think you've got to side with the Iranians because the Yanks... Never side with the Iranians. No, okay, (laughs) fair enough. But the Yanks Yanks are the ones that pulled out of that deal. Mm. That deal was a very good deal. It was working. It was delaying them developing a nuclear bomb. It put them on the behind the eight ball by 10 years. It didn't eliminate the threat of them developing nuclear weapons. There's Mm. no arguments about that. Mm. However, in 10 years' time, you could be dealing with a very different Iran. You know, it's unlikely, but it's still possible. Wishful thinking, but, yeah, we'd like to think it's possible. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. At least this time, our involvement over there is honestly about oil. (laughs) Like... Sometimes yeah. we go over. Oh, it's about liberty and democracy. But you make it sound this like time, this the time it really is about stealing oil. oil. They're this, not stealing this, oil. This they're time. just trying to well, safeguard. When you steal an oil tanker, you steal oil. No, they're trying to safeguard <laughs> the legal passage of international shipping through the Strait of Hormuz. You That's know, what it's about. If, if you were honestly, you know, going into that area to prevent tanker piracy, mm. it should be the rest of the world going in and stopping the UK and the US from interfering in the strait. That, that's, that's who the pirates are in this case. The Americans the, and the Aussies are the only ones with spine in this game. I'm really very disappointed that the government signed up to it so bloody quickly. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm And not. I'm also very disappointed in Richard Marle's response too. That Thank was, you, yes. That was really very quick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, he, he said Labor supports this decision. We do, we do so on the basis of being a mission that is tightly framed around freedom of navigation for commercial shipping. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm actually not totally in favour of it, I have to say. You know, you know, I think we, we, we have such limited naval capacity as it is, we should be deploying it in our region. And that is precisely what that bloke said whose name completely yes, escapes me. Former head of army. Exactly. Yeah. He said he said we've got our own neighborhood that we should be patrolling. Absolutely. And he said that, you know, and he he called the Middle East a quagmire. Well it's it is a frigging quagmire. It really does. It just involves everyone and mm. sucks you in. Mm. And the other thing that really upsets me is he's, is that the government and the opposition have made the Greens look sensible. When Richard Di Natale stood up and said we should not be the lapdog of the United States, and you think to yourself, "Well, that's what we are." Yeah, but Richard Di Natale says that you yeah, know, I all know. the time. He says it all the time. But he's but right this, in this but case. This, in this case, he's right, and yeah, that's what's so really infuriating. Even though you know, policy-wise, you're so close to them, you have <laughs> swallowed. You have sw- you've swallowed. You know, the the regular media's disdain of. Just I've story formed for my the own Greens. disdain for the so, Greens uh, spontaneously. I yeah. used to support the Greens years yeah. ago. I used, yeah. I've even voted for the Greens. And I know the they're Greens, crackers when it comes to identity and stuff. They're crackers, But yeah. on a number of these things, they're the only ones who objected to those outrageous tax cuts and the only ones who are objecting to this foreign action. Oh, like, right. they are the opposition at the moment. Like, what is Albanese and the Labor Party doing? I think they're just bent over for the government. Yeah, and, and it's typical with this sort of foreign affairs stuff for the Labor Party to be agreeing, you know, bipartisan support. If it's, if it's some sort of foreign matter or if it's some sort of terrorism act, mm. then the automatic response of Labor is to offer bipartisan support. Yeah. And that's how we're ending up with, with these 70 new, you know, yeah. uh, laws that are restricting freedoms and mm. allowing 
you know, a former attorney generals to yeah. be hurled into court for, you know, acting mm. for somebody who was whistleblowing on Timor-Leste. Like, when you say former atten- attorney generals, nobody's yeah. above the law, Trevor. No, but respected <laughs> guys. Like, yeah, but yeah. that's not to say that they can't be charged with in, a, a in, criminal offence. Indeed. So that's irrelevant. Be... But I agree with you that, yeah, um, yeah the, the government is yeah. getting a little bit yeah. too it's... clever about I... shutting yeah. down anything that dissents against their position. Yeah, and because we've got this bipartisan support all the time for terrorism laws or for foreign actions... At some point, Labor needs to grow a spine and just say, <laughs> no. Labor? Grow yeah. a spine? Yeah. So they haven't borrow one, one in years. Or borrow one from the Greens. No, so, they haven't. They, haven't yeah. they don't even know what a spine is anymore. Yeah. So, um, so there we go. So that's what's happening there, dear listener. Mm. Uh, we've got lots of people in the chat room. Um, uh, I can't read those, but I'll get on to them later. Um, <laughs> keep talking in there. Um, right. Came across an article which said that um, was talk about was talking about the British imperial rule died when colonial rulers ran out of indigenous collaborators. Really? Well, here's the theory. So, um, this guy is talking about the American Empire and saying it's a hybrid of past empires. So, he said it uh, incorporated a, a bit of features of various old empires. So it's uh, the US one is Athenian in its ability to forge coalitions among allies. It's Roman in its reliance on legions that occupy military bases across most of the known world. And it's British in its aspiration to merge culture, commerce and alliances into a comprehensive system that covered the globe. So um, he's saying that... uh, what happened with the British Empire was in the colonies, when they were powerful, the the elites in the colonies were on board with the British Empire. And that's how they maintained control. But once the elites of the indigenous people stopped supporting the empire, that was the sign that the empire was on the way. When you say indigenous, so, you mean native, uh, born in yeah, the yes, in the no, colony. Yes, like we uh, yeah. we are indigenous Australians. Is that what you're saying? Uh, Although we're not elite. Yeah. Well. Uh, well, I think he's I think he's referring to the Raj in the India, the Indian Raj. Lo- but local, if you're talking local, about the United local indigenous States, elites who get into positions of leadership in the various British colonies, who are in support of the British Empire. And then the empire is strong. But yeah. once those people start to go, you know what? We want independence from the British Empire. We're no longer happy with their control. At that point, that's when the empire I'm just breaks down. I'm curious about this use of the word indigenous because yeah. if you're talking about the United States, the indigenous people had no, nothing. No, I'm, I'm talking no, about, you're talking about, talking about the colonies. You're talking uh, about Malaysia, um, India. Yeah. Um, so not the United yeah. States. No. No. Not Australia. Yeah. No, All those I'm, African no, countries too. No. Oh, okay. So, yeah, sort of the developed, uh, developing countries. Oh, I see, yeah. yeah. But do you get the idea? Like those people who are in power, uh, once they decide we've had enough of this, of this colonial master, we want independence and we're not... They want to, to keep with more them. of the cake for themselves. We, we want to cut away mm. from them. That's when the empire... Because the empire relies on those people because mm. it can't have enough stretch. It needs... Indigenous collaborators who yeah. agree with it in order to maintain control over these far-flung corners of the world, mm-hmm. and 
what this article is saying that America has had lots of collaborators, but that's starting to break down now. So mm. the, um, uh, let me just read some of this here. Um, like the European nations, for example, are reluctant to join in on things like this current dispute with Iran. Straight of no. almost, yeah. Same with the nuclear disarmament treaty that, that uh, Trump pulled out of. Mm. The Europeans are saying, well, we still want to be part of it. We'll mm. still do it. Mm. Uh, um, even in things like um, Vietnam War, like Canada said, well, we're not having any bar of that. But Australia, unfortunately, is unique in that we're the ones who just jump in to whatever the US wants us to, whereas a whole heap of other... Western liberal democracies, Paul, that you would love. Yes, but there was another don't, very... Don't drum in as often and as hard and as strong as we do on each and every occasion. True? Look, there was another very good reason why Australia was involved in the Vietnam War and the Canadians weren't. Right. The domino theory. Remember that? <laughs> the yellow peril domino theory. Yes. And, you know, yeah. to some degree it had some, you know, cogency, I have to say. Right. The idea that the, you know, the communist... Uh, political, you know, dominoes would fall all the way down through Southeast Asia and end up on our doorstep. Whereas that's not going to happen with Canada, is it? Or with France or with Britain. But it could have happened to Australia. With the Vietnam example? Oh, yeah, absolutely. The yellow peril peril domino theory. Well, look, there were were communist insurgencies in Malaysia, in Indonesia... And I believe to some degree in Thailand as well. And our cultures are so similar that we were likely to fall to a communist uprising. No, no, but the the point was... sort of insight and and balls from watching our northern neighbours fall to communism. We would prefer to have northern neighbours who were more in line with our way of, you know, doing international trade and business, human rights, upholding human rights... And it was absolutely more in our interest than it was in, in the Canadians or the Europeans to, to try to encourage a more liberal democratic polity to, Maybe the fact to grow and, 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 and prosper in our region. Maybe the... Well... I mean, really, I'm, I'm quite serious about that. We had a lot more reason to be in Vietnam than the Canadians did. Ho, yeah, I Ho, Ho Chi Minh wanted to do trade with the Americans. He wanted I know. a Western liberal democracy I, and they wouldn't let him. They said no. He wanted so, liberal, liberal democracy? Yes. Are you sure? Yes. No, no. What he wanted was independence from the French. And yes, and he was happy to, he was happy to get it any way he could. That's, he, he wanted to trade with America. He wanted to be part yes, of the world. Yes, but that's he not just to wanted say he wanted a liberal democracy. He was forced to, to seek assistance from the communists because the Americans wouldn't... He was a communist, Trevor. The, the Americans wouldn't let him. No, he was a communist. He was of the same generation as Mao and a whole bunch of other I, I, all right. East Asians all right. Again, who went I, to Europe, learned about Marxism and brought it home. Again, I think you're both right. (laughs) You know, Paul, you're right because the domino theory was quite a solid theory. You saw fascism start in Italy, spread to Germany, and then it conquered all of Europe. And then you had Franco and then you saw the Soviet Union rise and then it took over Eastern Europe. And then you saw China. 
exactly. then you saw the neighbouring neighbouring countries of China that fell to communism. Yeah. So yes, Paul, you're right. It's, it's easy, Trevor. With, you're right. It's, also, it's easy with half a century of hindsight to look absolutely. back and say, ah, oh, the Americans were crackers, yeah. but they weren't crackers. They had a, a fairly reasonable suspicion. But Trevor's at the also, time. Trevor is also right in that, you know, Ho Chi Minh did want to trade with the Americans and all that sort of thing. Yes. Now, I don't know enough of the history of that to actually comment on what he said, whether Ho Chi Minh was forced into the communist arms or not. I don't know. He was a communist. Well, he may well have been a communist, but, you know, he didn't strike me as a real... He certainly wasn't Maoist, you know, because when the Americans when the Americans were captured, they the Yankees always said, you know, oh, you want to be on China's side. They said, no, we don't want anything to do with China. No, the Vietnamese are quite uh, nationalistic. They, yeah. they don't identify as Chinese at all. But at the same time, at the end of the Second World War, when Ho Chi Minh said to the Americans, hey, you know, we want to set up an independent Vietnamese state here, so please... You know, stand up by your principles, you know, of democracy and freedom for everybody and let us have ours. And the Americans, of course, double-crossed and said, no, well, you know, the French are our friends and so we're going to help them re-establish their colonial possession of Vietnam. Mm. And that's why the Vietnamese, of course, you know, said, well, fuck you, we're going to be independent one way or another. We're going to need weapons. Where are we going to get them from? Well, they got them from the Soviet Union and from China. Of course, where else? They were forced into it. No, they weren't forced into it. They were forced into, into that position in order to get independence. It's America, understandable. America I agree with for, you. The was, only, the, America forced them into that. Well, I, I would okay. say anyway, it, it's, it's understandable. It's been 40-something years since mm. the end of the Vietnamese War. Right. Okay. Trevor, why haven't they ever had a plebiscite of their people to encourage a liberal democracy to develop? they're not liberal de- democrats at all. Because they're not liberal democrats. They are Marxist communists. That's right. <laughs> The point was what was what was the situation back then, you know, not is not is what it what is it now? So I've anyway. read a little bit of East Asian history. I've read, so, never read anything to suggest that Ho Chi Minh was a Liberal Democrat. So well, let's never let's put that back on the back burner for another time. So he wanted independence, so, and so. and and he was right to petition the Americans to basically butt out and let them have their own country. Mm. I absolutely... And when the Americans said no, his only choice was to get... Well, his only choice was to fight it by whatever means were available. Exactly. And the fighting by whatever means was available was the Soviet and Chinese help. Absolutely. That was what was available to him. So he was forced into it by the Americans. If they'd have just said, yeah, have your independence, then it all would have been good. Well, that so, was what the South Not was. necessarily all would have been good. We don't know how that would have panned out. Right. Well, the South we'll never know. would have been better than the Vietnam War anyway. Well, Probably. the South, the south yeah. was divided from the North and that sort of stuff. So the, the South got its independence. It was a liberal democracy, blah, blah, blah. It was a, it it was was a, a dictatorship. It was a dictatorship <laughs> that had a democratic sort of sponge to it. Not but, much of a democratic no, sponge. But, but it was something there. And, you know... Uh, the whole point is, one statistic I remember from school was that the Americans at the height of the air war were spending $20 million a day bombing North Vietnam. Had they have spent $19 million a day on a foreign aid program in the South and then a million dollars a day on a propaganda program in the North saying, look, your leaders have betrayed you, see how good things are in the South, then you'd end up with a country that was in the palm of America's hands. Yeah, you know? look, you know, when I said before that I could perfectly understand the American suspicions about the domino theory. I'm not saying necessarily I support the fact that they did go in and drop all those bombs and kill all those 
millions of Vietnamese and, you know, spray agent. It was a, it was a catastrophe and the Americans really, you know, should have approached it in a different manner. So I'm with you on that, Scott. I think mm-hmm. they would have been much better with soft diplomacy than they, with, you know, you know had, bombs and bullets. Had they have spent $19 million a day on a foreign aid program, mm. then the South would have, been ring, would have been ringed in highways and railways and everything else and then you would have been, you would have been able to say, look, your leaders have it, betrayed you. Yeah, it may have well have been a better way of fostering liberal democracy than... Okay. Trying to bomb them okay. into submission. A topic submission. for a future podcast then was, you know, was the yellow peril and the domino effect a legitimate concern or not? Was that legitimate? Because you're saying Australia's involvement in Vietnam was a legitimate thing to do and we it should have been... It was based on legitimate fears and, of that and time. We sh- and we should have been there. I'm not saying we should have been there. That's right. another question. I'm right. saying that the, the, the suspicions... Right were legitimate, the right. fears were legitimate, and Australia had a lot right. more okay. so the threat skin the, in the game than the Canadians or the French or so, the British. So, so we entered it through a genuine fear of the yellow peril and the domino effect, which was a legitimate, rational fear to have. I believe it was. Okay, that's a topic for another discussion. We'll, no, get, we'll come back to that one. Of Paul. I think it was a legitimate fear okay. to have, we'll, we'll but I'm not, I'm not convinced we'll, that we should have gone in militarily. We'll, we'll, well, I'm we'll, not convinced either we'll, of that, but, yeah. you know, legitimate fear is one thing. Mm. Acting on it is another. Okay. You know, the whole thing is, you know, you just had Tim Fisher that just died recently and he reckons that, you know... Um, He's a Vietnam vet, he was a wasn't Vietnam he? Veteran. Yeah. He was a conscript and he got sprayed with Agent Orange and he was asked in an Australian story, he said, you know... He said the the, uh, the uh, Agent Orange came up and that sort of stuff, and he says, "Well, that's probably." No, I'm just showing the dear listeners. Oh right, oh, what you're drinking? Yeah, that's okay. Keep going. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> he said he said in the interview he said that uh, the journalist asked a journalist said to him he said that was a fairly high price you had to pay for serving your country, and he said, "Well, yes, it was." Anyway. Yeah. Well. It's a real pity that he's dead and that sort of stuff. But He, he seems like one of the better ones. But, he did, but, yeah. yeah. I mean, he certainly came off, um, you know, there was a story I was reading today on the ABC that whereas a journalist who had covered him right from when he really fucked up, pardon the language, dear listener, when he really stuffed up in his earlier days and that sort of stuff and they said that, you know, he, he was profiling when he said he was a bit kooky and that sort of thing and then when he really got to know him, then he worked out that this guy was not kooky and that sort of stuff. He was a genuine bloke. Mm, he just uh, had his idiosyncrasies. I Absolutely, think. yeah. yeah. Mm, mm. And he reckons it, he reckons that he was on the spectrum. Mm. So. Uh, definitely, yeah. Mm. So anyway, back to my argument about yes. uh, America about empires falling apart oh, okay. when the local indigenous supporters turn against their masters and say we've had enough. You keep raising your eyebrows and you don't like the idea of that. <laughs> You know, you know, real life is so complicated and every time someone comes up with a new theory like this, mm. I can't help thinking, yeah, but what are they missing, you know? Yeah. It's, there are so many other factors, invisible factors and unknowns yeah. that it's really hard to, I think, find a coherent theory of anything as complex yeah. well, as that. Well, I keep predicting the end of the American empire, so I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> saying, you know, if that is a theory of any legitimacy, then you could see signs at the moment that the empire is beginning to crumble as other major world countries who formerly were in alliances with America on most things start to depart mm. from them. So mm. it could be the beginning of the end. And just we mentioned about the US dollar the other week mm. and uh, just reading from this article here, 
Um, the US demand that Germany and other European states halt the importation of Russian gas. Likewise, saw the Europeans ignore Washington. Uh, China and Russia, traditionally antagonistic, are now working in tandem to free themselves from the dollar. Moscow has transferred $100 billion of its reserves into Chinese yuan, Japanese really? yen and euros. Wow. And as ominously, foreign governments since 2014 are no longer storing their gold reserves in the United States. <laughs> and as with Germany, for example, removing their gold from the Federal Reserve, Germany has repatriated its 300 tonnes of gold ingots and the Netherlands has repatriated its 100 tonnes. So Maybe they want so, to spend it. <laughs> well, they don't trust America anymore. And after watching Venezuela abscond, you know, lose all of its assets held in America, they're going, hmm, maybe we just won't leave our gold in the States. We'll bring. So these are all signs of mistrust and yep. moving away. And, uh, and maybe they're right. Yeah, so... Uh, so that's that. And but what about the Poms when they sold, what was it? They sold a lot of their gold reserves at a time yeah. when it was about $300 an ounce. Right. And the, guess who bought it? Right. The Chinese. Right, yep. Uh, and then actually, it went up to 1200 an ounce. Yeah. Uh, well, speaking of the Poms, just in this article again I'll quote, it says, it is impossible to predict when this flight from the dollar will take place. By the second half of the 19th century, the US economy had overtaken Britain, but it was not until the middle of the 20th century that the dollar replaced the pound sterling to become the dominant currency in international trade. Mm. So the pound sterling's share of currency reserves uh, among international banks fell from 60% in the 1950s to less than 5% in the 1970s. Uh, its value declined from more than $4 per pound at the end of World War Two, to near parity with the dollar. So, so uh, its power internationally, GDP, etc., it had fallen behind the US. But it took a long time for the pound sterling to crash. But when it crashed, it it crashed. So mm, crashed and burned. Yeah. So we shall see what happens. But you know, throughout history, powers you know emerge and they grow, and then eventually they all wane, don't they? Mm. Yeah, I heard something very interesting six months ago where they were talking about China and India growing and that sort of stuff. Mm. And they're just saying that's returning to the natural order of things. That The, the larger countries, just, countries yeah. with the larger population, the larger economic base, are the ones that inevitably will grow up and get powerful, surely. Absolutely. So they were just saying that China and India are just on that trajectory to go mm. back to where they were in the past before the British and that sort of stuff tried mm. to take them over. Mm. Yeah. Other examples of two were uh, Germany and France stayed out of the war against Iraq. So, I mean, that was a major conflict that they just said, nope, not having anything to do with this. So, yeah. And they were wise to stay out yeah. of course. And, um, and I've got a link to an article on the John Menadue blog where he talks about small nations having alliances with major powers and really it's a mistake by the small nations because they think they're getting something from the larger power but the larger power will always act in its own self-interest and it just depends at any given moment whether it's likely to help or not depending on its own self-interest and the alliance doesn't really count and it can cause the smaller power just to be bullied into providing all sorts of facilities or assistance uh, bullied to 
participate in war efforts and other things like Iran and the Straits of Hormuz on the promise that in future, of course, we'll help you, but no guarantees. So you end up as a minor power giving away a lot, promising and doing a lot, well, doing a lot, but on the promise of ultimate assistance, which will only come if it suits the superpowers. Yeah, but that's not to say that such alliances are worth zero, is it? I mean, you, you no, get but married. You, but, but we overstate you, When them. you get married to somebody, mm. you can't be 100% sure that the marriage is going to last until you die, can you? Sometimes they don't work out. True. Same with alliances. No, but, the- but marriages aren't so... This is about an imbalance of a junior partner and a senior partner. Oh, you're so- talking about marriage again? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Dear listener, the 12th man is still single and... <laughs> and you can see why we're having trouble. <laughs> no, it's just... I agree with Trevor on this one because the US alliance has been keeping me up at night of late. Has it really? Yeah, it has been because oh it's, it's something that I've always... Have you tried gin and tonic? No, I haven't tried gin and tonic. C- Cameron Riley's in the chat room. Cameron, uh, just earlier on, the 12th man was saying that the yellow peril and the domino effect was a legitimate concern for Australia that justified our, our entry into the Vietnam War like it was, it was a, a real and genuine concern. If, you've, if you want to argue against that... Ring me, Cam, and we'll, we'll patch you in because <laughs> i got my phone connected, so just ring me if that's incorrect. But anyway, back to the – it's not like a marriage because a marriage is between two people of it, – it's it, there's not a huge of power. Of different in sexes. Pa- there's not a huge power imbalance. Or the same sex, One sorry. would hope. And in marriages, in marriages where there is a large power imbalance, imbalance, they're probably destined to hard times, aren't they? So, you know, anyway – what do I, you know, obviously I've got my views, you've got your views, and Scott is sometimes with one or the other. Mm. What, what? <laughs> but what I'm saying is there, there's no guarantee in anything in life, is there? But you still do make alliances yeah, there because are alliances, you but see that there may be yeah. something advantageous yeah, yeah, yeah. about yeah. it. But oh, here we go. honestly, though, the here, Yanks here should have been told off over East Timor. Ca- Cameron. How they refused to come and help us. <laughs> Hello. Agree. Oh, we've got a special guest. Cameron Riley is, is has joined us. <laughs> Hi, so, Cam. So, Cam from the Bullshit Filter and from various other podcasts. Cam, we've just been having a discussion, and and we're talking about how America, how Australia has followed America into all sorts of battles, and how Canada, for example, didn't follow America into the Vietnam War. And the 12th man said, well, it wasn't in their corner of the world and they didn't have to worry about the yellow peril domino effect coming down through the Asian countries into their country. I don't think the 12th man ever used the term yellow peril. Well, I didn't. But but the theory of the domino domino effect, though. The domino theory, The domino theory is what you were concerned about. But Scott's right. I never used the term yellow peril. You did. (laughs) But the domino theory was a fairly legitimate theory at the time. But so let me... so you were saying that Australia had a legitimate concern to enter the war, which Canada didn't have, and yes. that was the domino effect of, of communism making its way down through the our nor- northern neighbours. Absolutely. Cam, are you there? Is that a legitimate – was it a legitimate concern? Yeah, well, I'll say it was, but you have to understand what the concern was. Now, as um, I think you know, Trevor, I just recently did about 20 episodes on the first um, Indochina war on our Cold War series. So we went into a lot of detail about the history behind the first Indochina war and what, you know, what was going on, at least at that stage in the 
late 40s and early 50s. Uh, okay. So you had a situation where the indigenous people, the Vietnamese people, uh, had been oppressed for uh, almost a century at that stage by the French. They just wanted their independence. And the thing about Ho Chi Minh was that he was very vocal right throughout that period, saying to the Americans, going back to 1919, when he went to the peace conference and tried to uh, get his uh, petition to Woodrow Wilson, they they were happy to join the American camp for decades if the Americans would help them get rid of the French. Mm. All the Vietnamese people wanted was independence, the right to choose their own government and the right to uh, you know set their own laws. And the Americans... Sorry, Cam, uh, can I just step in there? When you say all the, all the Vietnamese wanted, what, what you're really talking about is all the Vietnamese self-appointed leaders who were communists, all they wanted was the right to rule their own country under a system of their choosing. It's no, quite, missing, a, quite another point. thing to say that the whole Vietnamese population no, was, they, was in step with that. They weren't communists, is my point. Really? They were nationalists. Mm. Yeah. Are you sure they in weren't fact, communists? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, had, ha, how said, are you so certain just, about that? Because I just did 20 fucking hours of podcasts on it. <laughs> no, but we need more evidence, 50, Cam, not just you did 20 episodes. We need evidence. Subject, 12th man, so, you know, I'm telling you what I've read in the books. Now, that all these books might be wrong, but, you know, these, these are mainstream uh, books on the subject by like uh, 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 Max Hastings, right, who's not exactly a, a lefty uh, historian. He's Boris Johnson's old boss, as Trevor knows, because we just did a couple of shows on Boris Johnson a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, mainstream books on, on the period. So, like, Ho was very, very um, – he was so not communist that Stalin wouldn't support him for many, many years because Stalin wasn't convinced that he was a communist. The, the, the Soviets saw Poe as a nationalist, and he, he was an opportunist. He would go they – were, they were worried that he was in the American camp for many, many years. He was working with the OSS, Hoe, this is. He was working very closely with the OSS in the uh, mid-40s and the late 40s. What's the OSS? Um, and was, and uh, the precursor, the American precursor to the CIA. Okay. Um, before the Americans had the CIA, they had the OSS. Mm-hmm. The OSS, very close relationship with Ho, supplying Ho with weapons and his, his team meeting with them. Um, and Ho was saying, and there's plenty of American OSS operatives that are on record with this, he was saying, I'm happy to throw my weight in with the American camp. We don't care. We will dance with whoever takes us to the party. Just get rid of the Japanese and the French and let us run our own country. That's all we're asking for. The Americans basically ignored them. From Wilson all the way through Truman, they just weren't interested in uh, uh, supporting the Vietnamese in getting rid of the French because they felt like they needed the French on side. They needed to gall on side after World War II to help them with the uh, uh, control of Germany and mostly to keep an eye on uh, Stalin and the Red Army once the Americans pulled out of Europe. Yeah. And so Ho was looking for someone, a major power, that would support him in uh, 
returning independence to the Vietnamese people. And the only place he could find even a, a philosophy on returning power to the indigenous people was in the writings of uh, Lenin, actually. Stalin wouldn't even give him a, the time of day, but um, he, you know, he originally went to Moscow because he uh, tried to connect with Lenin um, mm. when he got run out of Vietnam early on. But the Americans... Americans didn't want to play. The mm. Americans were like, no, we'd rather keep the French happy. Yeah, and look, I, I totally agree with you, Cam, that the, the Americans made a huge blunder by, uh, you know, not supporting but, the Vietnamese but, but nationalists. Are you, are you saying, talk man, that Ho was a communist at heart, like a real a sort of a Marxist man who, who given a choice of, of democracy or and capitalism would have, or given communism, was a communist really at heart? I don't know. Right. I really don't know him that well. I, I was just assuming he was. Right. Okay, so I'm willing to take Cam's point on that totally. Mm. And, and I agree that the Americans made a huge mistake. But, and exactly as Cam said, you know, the Americans felt that it was more in their interest to keep the French on side than it was to, you know, cosy up with the, the Vietnamese nationalists. Yeah. Mm. Right. And the domino th- a theory has some legitimacy, Cam. Well, look, you know, as, as I've explained in a huge amount of detail um, on the Cold War show, the the key issue of the Cold War from the American perspective was trying to get as much of the world as possible into their trading block. You know, coming out of uh, the – in the early 20th century, the, the, the world was still divided into trading blocks, mostly the European powers – you know, England controlled 25% uh, of the world's economy in their trading block and made it inordinately difficult for the United States to be able to trade with various countries without tariffs and protectionism and all that kind of stuff. And the U.S.'s problem um, coming out of World War II is the U.S. had been going into recessions pretty much every decade since the late 1800s. Their economy was incredibly unstable mostly because they were overproducing. Uh, they couldn't consume everything they were producing with their domestic economy and they were struggling to export. So what the Americans were mostly concerned about was the world ending back up in lockdown trading blocks that they would either not be able to participate in or would have to participate in at a disadvantage like they did with the Commonwealth trading block up until they literally forced Churchill to dismantle it uh, in order for their uh, support, um, which was part of the meetings of the Atlantic Charter that Churchill had with uh, Roosevelt in the middle of 41. So, yeah, the domino theory was mostly around the concern that there were many, many peoples around the world, many nations that felt that they had been screwed over by capitalism and and the the monarchs and the imperialists that had supported their governments right throughout Europe, right throughout Asia, Latin America, uh, in the middle of the 20th century. And they wanted to uh, get independence. They wanted to get power back to the people. And communism was the only philosophy that was offering, even in theory, that the people would have the means of production eventually going through socialism to communism eventually. The Americans were absolutely terrified. And again, there's plenty of quotes from Dean Acheson uh, and secretaries of state and the heads of US Treasuries 
throughout the, the sort of 30s, 40s and 50s backing this up, their fear was they were going to get locked out of global free trade. That was their concern of domino theory. And so their, their intention um, from when George Kennan wrote his famous X telegram onwards was to basically contain the Soviet trading bloc as much as possible. And that was the whole idea of the Marshall Plan. The Marshall Plan was basically the US going in with an open checkbook and buying Europe to keep it out of the hands of the communists because they were genuinely concerned that the, that the communist parties, and I'm talking about the Soviet Union, I'm talking about the indigenous communist parties in places like Germany and France and Greece, um, were going to get power and then would form a trading bloc with the Soviet Union. So the Americans went with a, with a massive checkbook and said, listen, we will finance your um, uh, reconstruction after the war on one proviso. You uh, lock yourself into the American trading bloc. And b- by the way, you know, nearly 90% of the money that was made available by the Marshall Plan never left the United States. It wasn't like they gave them big buckets of cash. They basically gave them a line of credit. You can buy as much as much American goods and services as you want. And it was a huge transfer of cash from the public treasury in the United States to American corporations over a period of uh, five or six years. None of it. Uh, left the U.S. shores, well, not much of it left the U.S. shores. But it's still so a form of aid. It's not as if they didn't help them and in very constructive ways. And surely, would you agree, Cam, that the Americans were right to do so? Look, um, it's one of those things that, um, yes, they, uh, giving people money so they can rapidly rebuild their economy is a good thing. What they should have done, though, is given them – I mean, if, if you want to really call it aid, it should come with no strings attached. It should be, here's the money, rebuild your economy, spend it as you see fit, and, and form your political and economical alliances as you see fit. That is aid. What the Americans did was buy Western Europe. Yeah, now, Every country does it that way, don't they? I mean, the Americans are not the only ones that, you know, you know – say, yeah, we'll give you aid as long as you spend sure. it on our companies. I mean, Australia does the same thing. I, I assume you other countries a, do it as well. Yes, you can take a, a Machiavellian realpolitik view of it and say, well, everyone does it and that's fine. My issue is just, let's be clear, the Marshall Plan wasn't a gift. It was a purchase. America purchased the uh, business of Western Europe for the next 50 years. And they profited it, the America this is, massively out of that. But the conditions, the two conditions were the governments, in order to receive Marshall Plan money, you had to spend it on American goods and services, the vast majority of it. There was there was some, there was some uh, uh, small amounts of flexibility, but it was mostly from American uh, companies. And B, they had to suck, down any socialist or communist parties operating in their regions. So as long as we, we just, you know... It's just about an honest description of it and a, an enlightened yeah, yeah, self-interest yeah, and instead they, of just a full-on, gosh, that was such an unselfish, beautiful uh, act that they did to yeah, say, okay, it was it, it 
was helpful, but it also was enlightened self-interest. And just to paint yeah, a, an accurate picture. Like, and there's nothing wrong with enlightened self-interest. self-interest exactly. That, yeah. that was the whole yeah. point. I mean, mm. enlightened self-interest, well, it did actually on. save the whole continent from going Bolshevik. Exactly. Sorry. Well, but is that a good thing for the people or a bad thing? A good thing. A I good thing. Say, I a very good thought, thing. Cam, we nailed it. I'm going to pull you up here, Cam. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a well, list of topics. Like, <laughs> you know, you offered, you suggested I should come to your house and record this, and I was like, listen, seriously, you don't want to put me in the same room as uh, those guys on this topic. It's. Uh, You've, it's, no, it's not well, no, you've, you've been good. You've helped me out on the Ho Chi Minh <laughs> issue. And dear listener, honestly, Cam, uh, in your Cold War podcast, the bit on Ho Chi Minh was my favourite part that you've ever done mm-hmm. like it because I knew nothing about the guy. And he actually, you really admire him amongst world leaders and what he did. And you really come away after those episodes thinking, holy smokes, that guy was a great revolutionary and and a lot of respect for him. So it's a very interesting set of podcasts uh, on the Cold War. Mm. So I recommend that to everybody, Cam. But yeah. I'm going to cut you short and beat you off my podcast because you're going to take it over. And Yeah, good idea. I've got to go research uh, China's economy anyway for my own podcast. <laughs> well. Do me a favour, cut yeah. me off, kick me out. Thanks, yeah. boys. Lovely to talk as always. Yeah, thanks, Cam. No thanks, thanks, Cameron. Thanks, thanks bye. Hey, hey, Trevor. Yeah. Trevor, yeah. I, roasted, I roasted some of those beans tonight, mate. Uh, thank you for that again. All awesome. right. That's so sad. <laughs> Cheers. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye now. What sort of beans? Cam, <laughs> uh, uh, I roast my own coffee beans. Wow. And Cam had something on his Facebook page about roasting coffee beans. And I said, well, come on over and I'll show you how it's oh, done. Really? So, um, so, yeah. So, anyway. So, okay. So that was that. Hey, that worked out well. Somebody could just ring in and join the stream. Yeah. And, and, and <laughs> no, look, that was that was informative. That was good. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, thanks, Cam. Thanks, Cam. That was great. Right. How long have we been going? Oh, like, a long time. Good <laughs> One hour and twenty-five minutes. One hour and twenty-five minutes, and we are. Nowhere near anything. Mrs. Fist will be apoplectic. We were nowhere near anything that we were supposed to be on. Ah, boy, oh boy. Well, we're going to have to hold most of this evidence next week. I'm just looking at it. A lot of it's really interesting stuff. There's so Mm. much going on. There is a lot. Um, And, you know, the religious freedom thing is just getting out of control. Yeah. I mean, were they... Barely getting started, Scott. I so know, but I they know, strap yeah. yourself in for that one. Mm. Okay, well, this is what's really giving me the shits. Is the uh, pardon the language, too, dear listener? Are you is, speaking French again? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Is what's really giving me the shits is that they have stuck their nose into voluntary assisted dying, and that really, really upsets me, because it's no longer about their freedom. It's about their privilege to dictate to us yeah. how we can end our own lives. They've been lives. doing it for a long time, Scott, and mm. I would be very surprised if they didn't continue doing exactly that, wouldn't you? It's in their, it's in their DNA, so to speak, yeah. to interfere in other people's lives because it's part of their theology. Yep. That yeah. they are the, you know, they're the ones who have, you know, the great wisdom of the universe and, and we're the ignoramuses. So it's, it's sort of almost their moral duty to stick their noses into everybody else's affairs. 
Yes. <sighs> yep. Anyway. It is. It's their reason for being. It's. Uh, I've been reading Plots and Prayers by um, yeah. Nikki Sover and um, beside your bed uh, at night before no, you go to sleep. No, when I was down in Sydney, you know, at different times and um, uh, not reciting the, prayers, just reading them. No, but it's strong. The whole sort of Christian cabal, particularly amongst the sort of evangelicals, mm. and and the the reason Morrison got over the line. Was the discipline and and hard work Commitment. and relentless concentration? While the other guys goofed off and went to dinner, Morrison's mob were just head down, bum up, Absolutely. going for it because they were just you know, they are so committed. They really are. Yeah, and it's really hard to overcome that sort of yeah. drive. Uh, the other thing I'd got from the book was, you know, we see the decisions that these guys make on various things we go. They're just completely nuts. Like they're so stupid about yeah. things. Can't, but they obviously spend all their time and all their thinking power on plotting and on power and how to keep power, corral it, maintain it, massage it. That's where all their focus is, these guys. It seemed to me was and where their intelligence lies mm. and their skill base is in their plotting of power and of making the right connections with people and gathering forces for power. That's that's where they're actually quite impressive as operators. Mm. Um, so that was the other thing I've got so far from the book. Mm. So, yeah. So um, so let's just see. We'll finish up in the chat room. Uh, Tom said that Richard Miles is my local member, deputy opposition leader to a spineless sellout shell of a Labor Party. Won't have my <laughs> vote come next election. Good on you, Tom. Uh, Joe said nuking hurricanes was seriously mooted in the past. Uh, Caitlin wishes me happy birthday for yesterday. Thank you, Caitlin. Um, and Matthew says, fairly sure Australia is investing in the Pacific with aid and infrastructure to prevent small island nations from becoming indebted to China. There will be absolutely strings attached. That's true. So, uh, thank you, Dan. He said, good job, boys. Um, and thank you... Uh, Dane, that was sorry. So yeah, thanks to all the people who came into the mm. chat room. That was mm, good. Absolutely. That worked successfully. I reckon next time I do a uh, Skype, I'm going to even get the, uh, the the other person's uh, image up on the screen as well. Mm. So, but um, all successful, yeah. I think, and a podcast that didn't get anywhere near all the topics we had to. But I'll just hold over for next week. Oh, patrons! Actually, I should mention we've got some new patrons. Thank you to Tom, who signed up, uh, and Beverly and David, who made uh, donations on PayPal. Thank you for that. We should try and run through the patrons because they're important. Uh, let me just see if I can find them here. Um, actually. Well, I can talk about the beer sponsors if you like. Yes. You're looking for that. Mm. Um, tonight, I'm drinking a Your Mate's Pale Ale which is a called a Larry, and that's from friend, friend of the show, Anne. Thank you very much. Thanks, Anne. Anne. Thanks, Anne. Anne. Anne gave us, say, two four-packs, and I drank the first two last week when I was <laughs> on my own. It was only me and Trevor just doing it over the Skype. So. <laughs> oh, that's okay then. Yeah. I thought you'd drunk it on your own time. No, that's no, what no, I, no. It was a podcast time. That's no, okay. it was podcast right, time. Right, it was yeah. just that Paul yeah. wasn't there yeah. and you weren't available, so yeah. I thought, well, well, I'll just drink the first two, which is, means we've got the six left over for us tonight, Jim. <laughs> right. It's, and for the rest of the beer sponsors was Wayne A, Landon Hardbottom, Bronwyn, Dave, Adam, Landon Hardbottom, Caitlin, Zach, Captain Doomsday, Landon Hardbottom and friend of the show, Anne. 
Mm. Thank you very much. Thanks to mm. all of them. And in between um, providing beer donations, Landon's also fathering more children, I he believe. He has had. He has uh, been at it again. He's mm. had another child. He had another son. Um, right. I've forgotten his name. Right. Right. Isn't that terrible? <laughs> Look, from, Boy number from, two. Yeah. <laughs> from, from Landon's point of view, I'm sure this child is just another tax deduction. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. We'll have to wait and see what Landon has to say about that, won't mm. we? Yeah. Yes. He's, yes. He's probably just named the child tax deduction number two. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. In his spreadsheet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you to Sean, Janelle, Craig, John, Landon, Wayne, Ayame, Alison, Steve, Tony, Caitlin, Watley, Jimmy Spud, Kane, Broman, Matt J, Robert, Rod, Palais, Maddockman, Dominic, Liam, Dave, Squeaky, Wheel, Daniel, Harry, Gavin, Peter, Captain, Doomsday, Aidan, Wheatwatcher, Nico, Andy, Murray, Melinda, Adam, Greg, Professor, Dr. Dentist, Will, Glenn, Craig, Matthew, Clinton, Alexander, Paul and Tom, who are all Patreons. And also non-Patreons, Dean, Ken, was the beneficiary, Mr. Anderson, Corinne, Mattman, David and... Beverly, um, much appreciated. Mm, that allows us to everyone. do these really cool things mm, like uh, this live stream, which is now working successfully mm. and, uh, yeah. Getting better every week. Yeah. We will soon just take over the podcasting world <laughs> we should. in Australian we should. news and politics. Yeah. So, right. Well, that was an interesting one. I, don't, was, have, yeah. I don't have to make any notes or do any prep for next week because I've got another two hours of notes sitting there ready to go. <laughs> so, that's good. <laughs> All right, dear listener, thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time. Bye. Thanks for tuning thanks, in. Everyone. Bye now. My four-year-old son has more diplomatic acumen than Trump and he still wets the bed. <laughs> At least he's not paying Russian hookers to do it for him, I suppose. Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, first up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing something at some time and you might be repeating something I've said and when you're talking to your friends say hey I heard this on this podcast and it's worth listening to and maybe pick an episode that you think's a good one and direct them to it like grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe <laughs> on their behalf on their phone and uh, and just put the word out the other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode. And really the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to I think $10 and various ones in between. It's really what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, is it worth more than that, less than that? Whatever you get out of it, because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe you really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just It'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event... You can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation. So you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners. And that way, look, 
if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks.